We at Drinks with Tony want to remind you to be a literary citizen. Hey, Tony, what the hell does a literary citizen mean? It means go buy books, go to author readings, especially authors on tour, go to readings in your local cities, as there are writers who gather in groups of five or more, sometimes less, and they read their latest work. Sometimes they even remember the story and they don't look at paper. But Tony, I live in a small town that doesn't have any reading series. Great. Thank you for starting one. Just start one. Have fun. We're all in this writing game because we're fans of the written word and fans of other writers. Dare to write. Dig into reading. Buy an author a pack of chewing gum. <laughs> anyway, thanks for tuning in. This week on the show, we have uh, Irvin Welsh. Remember, set your clocks in reverse. Then set them forward again and back to center for the time change. So midnight feels like 11 a.m. and 2 p.m. will feel like a punch in the gut. Hi, this is Urban Welsh and you're listening to Drinks with Tony. Get on the Drinks with Tony show. Yeah. yeah. You're listening to Drinks with Tony. I'm your host, Tony Duchesne. Today on the show, we have Irvin Welsh, author of Dead Man's Trousers, uh, a sequel. How many books are we in on the train spotting? Oh, first I'll say, hi, Irvin. I should, I should actually, I should actually um, just give you a hello before we talk. Hi, Irvin. Hello, Tony. All right, then. <laughs> I, don't, I jumped right on it. I, I got to slow down. Dived in, mate. Dived in. It's pressure work, like trying to... The amphetamine apocalypse right through the show, like, yeah. <laughs> so, and is this book number six in the Train Spotting series? Uh, well, there's a three. This is a kind of the Holy Trinity, you know, the kind of, um, and then there was the prequel, Skag Boys, and then there was the Begbie standalone. So, either five or three, depending on how kind of, um, sort of, uh, kind of, you know, you know, you want to be about it. I mean, it's like, uh, you know, um, they also make appearances in other um, books as well, so I don't really know. I mean, I think it's kind of th these are the three that I see as a sort of um, as a kind of um, the real time versions of them, like you know. And then um, I, I mean, it's it's got to be weird. I don't know. I'm saying it's weird. You probably won't say it's weird, <laughs> but uh, to be with characters for that long, I mean, your relationship with them must have like developed in weird ways over time almost like a marriage not even not even a marriage this is more like a polygamous cult kind of thing yeah you're in bed with all these strange men in in your head like um but um yeah it's it's crazy it's straight such a strange thing to do and but the, the good thing about it is that uh, you're not wandering around with all this stuff in your head all the time you know you, you go you write the book and it's gone you know and then they don't come back until you write another book about them um, so uh, it's um, it's kind of I, th I think um, you tend to get immersed in what you're writing. So if I write a book about old characters, I have to write one about new characters after that to kind of get to, to purge them from the system. Um, and uh, it's 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 great doing it. It's like it's like meeting old pals again when you bring in old characters. But it's also like um, you think. It's about time these guys went home now. They've been here for a few weeks, like you know. And then you, you think I'm going to go down to the pub and uh, I'll meet some new people down there and have a laugh with them, you know. So it's kind of like you know, it's uh, 
It's a, it's a bit like life, really. You know, you're kind of you've got some old pals and you make some new ones. And then, so as far as uh, Dead Man's Trousers is concerned, this is kind of the the, the final of these guys together. And this is the bookend of it. Does it does it does it feel? What is there like a feeling to that where it's like, oh man, I'm not going to visit these guys on a huge novel level again, or? Yeah, I mean, I think I'm done with them as a foursome, like, well, I am, because one of them doesn't survive, basically. So I can't do as a foursome in real time. Um, I might have a, you know, a paired adventure with two of them, but I couldn't see them existing as a mob of friends anymore, basically. I couldn't see them doing anything. You know, there had to be strange circumstances. You know, like Hibs were in the Scottish Cup for the first time in 114 years was a strange circumstance that brought people together. Um, it had to be something like that, you know, it had to be something like them all doing DMT, it had to be something about a kind of um, a twisted kind of redemption story, which I think it is. Uh, so, um, yeah, I mean, I think they're done, as a, they're done as a kind of unit, basically. An interesting thing about it is, is like, when you think about it, um, they were close friends in train spotting, and then there was a betrayal of train spotting, and they've never really been close friends since then, you know what I mean? You, you got them back together with porno. And then you get them back together again with Dead Man's Trousers. But it's interesting that the way life is, like, kind of, um, you always end up, I think, you always end up hooking up with people from your past, from your formative years, from your childhood and your teens and your young adulthood. Because um, they're the people that kind of make you, really, and they, they make you what you are, and you kind of, uh, and you're connected to them. So uh, a lot of my friends are kind of friends that I kind of have got, you know, that we've gone back into the kind of friendship, we've maintained the kind of friendship over the years. Um, and you realise that, um, fuck me, I'm stuck with those bastards now. You know, it's like family in a way, you know, you kind of, it becomes like that, you know. So uh, you think, uh, you know, I don't even know if I like them, it's irrelevant, you know, because I kind of love them, you know, because you know, they've been around so much, like, you know, in your life. Uh, and um, they help you understand yourself and they help you piece together the whole kind of thing, this whole kind of weird trip that uh, life is. So I wanted to try and capture that sense of it, you know, that, that, that sense of that, to uh, get that energy and that um, thematic concern in the book kind of sort of bubbling away under the, you know, underneath all their adventures that there was, um, there was this unshakable bond that they don't even necessarily like, but you have to acknowledge that it's there. That makes a lot of sense, because as I look back on my friends, you know, the ones I've had for 25, 30 years, um, I would never be friends with them now if I met them. But since we have the history, there's that weird love thing where you're just like, oh yeah, I'm going to put up with your weird shit I know. Yeah, I mean, you, you get, you think to yourself, I wish I hadn't have said hello to that little bastard at primary school, you know what I mean? I'm stuck with him forever now, you know, or whatever, or kind of, um, I wish I hadn't played football with that guy, or kind of went to the, the boxing club with this guy, or kind of, um, or, you know, or kind of, um, or worked with this guy as an apprentice or whatever, you know, because you are kind of stuck with them, and um, it's, it's interesting the, the way that happens, like, you know, and it's, it is that thing that uh, you get involved with people, you know, who are, you know, you're, you're kind of, a, you're all a bunch of kids playing together, or you're a bunch of young guys kind of hanging, hanging out together, or you're a bunch of kind of adult, young adults working together, and, and um, you're almost um, pushed into these relationships by circumstance. And then when you kind of break away from these relationships, and you're much more, you become more formed as an adult, and you're much more kind of choosy uh, about it. Um, and you tend to you tend to hang out with people who you who are like yourself in some ways. So the whole thing becomes um, 
becomes a lot duller and a lot safer in a way. You know, you don't have your perception of yourself challenged. Then suddenly you go, you, you go out with all these guys again who know everything. They know where all the bodies are buried, and uh, you know. So it's like uh, you have that kind of, um, and they have a very different conception of you to the one you've carefully crafted over the years. Like kind of with all your kind of, um, with all your more fashionable hoity-toity how to do artsy pals. Like they'll just go, oh, I remember the time you fucking shot yourself in the fucking thing, and all that. You know. So it's like kind of, um, and it's in, in, in a way it's great because. Um, it kind of pulls, brushes away all your pretensions, which I think is what you need. Um, you know, I know when I go back home, like, you know, a bunch of us will go out and they'll all be looking at me, just waiting for me to say something that's going to piss them off, you know, and I, and I think I'll just get it out of the way as soon as, you know, and uh, so I'll, something, I'll say something like, hey guys, where, where's the restroom? Well, oh, the fucking restroom, guys, what the fuck is all that about? So, so it, get, it breaks the ice, it gets all that out the road like you know so they can see they know I'm taking the piss as well you know so so it's uh, but um, I'll get it first and then I'll go on to somebody else and I'll go on you know it's just a sequential thing you know or we'll go on to somebody else like you know I'm kind of um, I'm still very much one of that pack and it happens you know and I, I slip back into this because um, writers are always kind of lone wolves so you move from this lone wolf status to just another salivating pack beast when you get back with your old pals again like yeah, yeah. And then sounds like some of that is they probably are uh, taking the piss with you because you're in America now and you're you're not a um, you don't live in Scotland. Yeah, I mean, I think it's um, it's to do with America. It's to do with the kind of circles that um, you know you, you can you're, you're perceived to move in, into in now, you know. Um, but um, most of the time, you know, when I'm not back in, in Edinburgh, most of the time I'm in America, I'm actually writing, you know, I'm type banging away on the keys. So um, most of my socialising is still done back in Scotland. I will go back to recording. I, just, I, do, I do have to say that it was, so I, you were just on a phone meeting and I just wanted to talk about, I just wanted to say that you have to talk about character and how awesome is it that we get to sit there here and pontificate about characters and what they would do and their motivations and how we get to like how we get to work with them as writers it's just I, lo I just loved I'm, I just I love listening to you and I love talking about character and motivation and all of that constantly it's like every day it's it's a joy yeah it's fun I mean it's like um, the writing is the, you know for me the, the writing is the, is the best fun I ever have in life and that sounds quite sad basically like you know it sounds like I've got no sex life at all like you know I do I promise you I do I do uh, but um you know, or a romantic life, or whatever, or kind of other life. But um, you know, when you when you the, the best fun, I think, is always in your imagination. If you've got a good imagination, and you can just let rip there in that space, and you can find, you can create these characters and that kind of, um, and dive into that fictional world, and uh, and just really sort of um, kind of you know, kind of sort of you know, you get the opportunity to. to to do something that you're constructing, but you're also hopefully doing it with this kind of zeal and this kind of um, and this kind of exuberance, and that's the thing you want to come across on the page. The um, yeah, it's just a blast. Hey, so uh, when you were talking uh, with uh, my buddy uh, the other night uh, at Book Soup, you talked about using a DMT before and how that changed your life. I 
I was like, that's when I was like, I gotta ask Irvin about that. Oh, are you, you're laughing. You're like, do I have to again? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> do I have to do some DMT again? You don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it is a kind of, uh, it's, a, it's absolutely astonishing experience because it's like no other drug, basically. You know, you kind of, um, you know, all the hallucinogens like acid and mushrooms, they kind of, uh, they take you somewhere, but it's but but you but you're in a you're in the same place. It just it's a distortion of what's already there, and you know that no matter how weird it is and how crazy it gets, it's still a distortion of what is actually around you. DMT just takes you right into another world or kind of some kind of weird world, whether it's inside your head or outside your head. I don't know. All these theories about it, like the pineal gland opening up, which happens before you die. Uh, and all these things that happen to you when you get there in this little antechamber that you go into um, it should be frightening and intimidating but it's not you're somehow very relaxed you're sitting on the couch you've had your three blasts of the of the smoke and you're kind of uh, you're off into this little world like you know you're but your your heartbeats the same you're not sweating uh, even when the little Lego gnomes grab a hold of you and escort you down to, um, either down into this little kind of steps into this dungeony type place or up into the and then you blast off it you step into flame and blast off and you're looking above the earth or you're sliding down the mountain with snow in your face and kind of just all these weird and wonderful things um some people see the last supper imagery i've never had that uh but um this is obviously a big kind of it's a it's a pre-christian drug it's a pre-muslim drug so it it predates all our um all our kind of um feudal kind of mercantile and, and um, industrial civilizations that were built which are now in decline so as they are we're going back to this kind of thing um, and I think people, more people will be experimenting with DMT and drugs in that way and I'm using the term experimenting in a, in, you know, uh, quite judiciously here because it's, it's not a kind of uh, a hedonistic drug, it's not a party drug you're not doing it for a buzz or a good time it is literally an exploration, and once you've done it, you don't really have any big burning desire to do it again. You know, I mean, if I never did DMT again, I would be happy. If I did it next week, I would be happy. It's no, there's no real pull or compulsion. I'd be less inclined to do it because I don't think it's going to teach me anything. You know, now it's like uh, these little gnomes in this little place. It gives you certain information, but it's not going to give you any more. And that's kind of when you actually do pass over to the other side. Right? But. Uh, it has made me less of an atheist. Uh, I was going to say I was a devout atheist before, but that's not the term to use for atheism. But um, I don't know now. I just don't know what uh, the whole um, parameters or definition of human existence is. I don't know what um, I don't know what humanity is. I don't know what God is and all that. And I think it's good that I don't know these things because uh, I felt fairly certain before that. Um, there was just nothing, and it, uh, and our energy just frizzled out, and that was that was us finished. Um, but uh, I'm not sure now. I think there is part of some whole kind of um, some whole circular kind of um, thing, uh, and it's you know it's tied in with some notion of spirituality. But uh, what that is, I don't know. Oh, I was going to see if we can uh, <laughs> flag someone down for the coffee. <clears throat> Yeah, uh, my head, my head's going. Yeah. Did you like coffee? Yeah, yeah.
Two coffees? Yeah, two coffees. Sure, cream and sugar. Absolutely, I'll be right back. So, um, so when you when you have that experience and it shifts your beliefs, was there any anxiety about that? Being after being a devout atheist, and <laughs> I love how you say devout atheist. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, evangelical atheist. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're just we're just hanging out. No, but did it was there any um was there any uh what do you call it? Like kind of anxiety like oh crap, maybe what I've thought hasn't been true or uh, I lost my church, you know, my whole church of non-belief basically like, you know, I kind of um I kind of um, I've lost that nice kind of cultiness that comes from being kind of being certain about the about the world and all that. And I've plunged back into the realm of doubt, which is always a kind of nice place to be, you know. And it's always a place, you know, it's a kind of place where I, I kind of am in terms of sort of politics and economics and science and all that kind of stuff. I've never been that way in religion. I've always been very certain about um, that, you know. So it's nice to kind of almost feel that um, it's helped integrate me as a person, like, you know. So I'm back into the land of doubt, which is a good place for a writer to be. Now, maybe you shouldn't take it again because you'll come back a Jehovah's Witness. Right. Well, that's your gig. I'm not, I'm not going there, mate. I'm not going there. I was married to a Mormon, you know, and uh, so the Jehovah's gig kind of um, isn't for me. You know, it's like, uh, I don't think it's like um, I'm kind of preaching to the converted here, but uh, I don't want any belief system. I can't say I'm preaching. I, I keep using all these religious terms to describe non, non-religious experiences. But, uh, yeah, nothing culty. Um, I think you, you've got to be distrustful of cults. Yeah, you've got to be distrustful of cults unless it's your own. You know what I mean? It's like kind of you know the, the only the only cult worth engaging with is one that you've kind of um, you've kind of fashioned yourself, like you know. Kind of, it's kind of almost important to have our own cult because I, I, I feel like then, then we are kind of um, what do you call it? We are, we have our um, some type of grounding of sorts, and and we could influence people and bring them along if we wanted to, but we just don't. Yeah, we're too kind for that. But, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like you've got to be a cult. <laughs> you've got to be an absolute cult. Well, it's a it's a lot of fun with you because I, I got to see you at the reading and how how people come up to you and in, in reverence of your of your uh, writing and uh, as we were just talking and they would they were like I'm so sorry to interrupt your conversation but um, I just wanted to say hi so there is kind of a um, I, I don't know how does that feel because you you probably you probably don't get to see that unless you're really on book tour or are people I'm asking you like 20 questions right now. And I'm so sorry because now you got to keep up. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's like kind of um, I'm always very respectful, and I, I, I say like, uh, just remove all your clothes immediately, and uh, we'll t- we'll take it from there. Like, but, uh, but but yeah, no, it's like I think um, if you go and you do all that kind of stuff, and um, it's it's quite strange that you know that people kind of. Um, you know, you're so invested in what you write, and uh, you're so invested in these characters and these stories, and it's great. And you feel, but it kind of feels very unearned. You know, you think to yourself, well, you know, I've kind of written a book, and it's kind of, you know, I'm, 
I've been rewarded and well paid for all that, and I kind of um, the, the kind of reverence as well. I'm not really, my, you know, it's like uh, I don't really feel that uh, I'm due that, you know. But um, so, and it's it's very, it's always like kind of um, when people put you on a pedestal, it's never a good thing because uh, you don't want to be, you want to come into every social interaction from a kind of. Um, from a, a place of equality, you know what I mean. Like that, that's that's where you get a really good social interaction. When somebody's looking, when, when you know, you know, hopefully you don't look down on people. When people look down on you or people look up to you and all that, it's kind of not a comfortable position to be in. You know, it's um, that great Irish toast that they have. It's kind of um, you know, um, never above you, never below you, always beside you. And I think you kind of uh, you, you have to have that as your the cornerstone of your kind of. Um, mentality really uh, and kind of any kind of fame doesn't really sit well with that and you know it's about I think you have to try to to calm people down you know and manage their expectations and say ah, 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 come on come on guys let's just have a, a chat here like you know exactly. yeah I call it eager eyes uh, it's it's <laughs> the and it kind of freaks me out but you know the the very few times I mean compared to you I'm you know a one percent of the probably how much you get approached but when I have been at like book readings or whatever there's the eager eyes I'm not sure if they're happy about the writing or if they think I can get them a job <laughs> yeah and it's um, I mean it's it's like kind of uh, the, the there is a thing that um, you get a lot of writers you know kind of kind of young writers who will give you stuff and they'll say, you know and I'll say to them look don't give your stuff to another writer. It's the worst thing you can do. I mean, give it to an agent or give it to a publisher or whatever, but don't give it to another writer because um, what happens is that um, you know they forget about it, and then they'll you know if they read it, if it's any good, they'll recycle it in some way themselves. So you know they won't realise they're doing it, but uh, it's just lodging their subconscious because most writing comes from the subconscious and. Um, most writers are thieves, you know, it's like they, they'll, they'll steal anything, not consciously steal it, but, you know, all the material of the world just comes in and you don't always filter it or categorise it and know where it's came from, you just use it if it's any good and you won't know you're doing it sometimes, so don't give it to, uh, don't give your stuff to another writer. Very good advice. <laughs> yeah, I had, a, I had a kid in my class, I, te I teach once a, a month at the library and so I get I get anybody in there, anyone from like weirdos to, you know, fully functional. And I had a kid that was mad at me that I wouldn't read his script. And I'm like, I can't even look at your script, dude. <laughs> yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's it's one of these things that, um, you know, I mean, I, I've kind of, uh, I've had people get in touch with me and they've said they've wanted to, um, they said, read my script, read I said, no, I, I won't read your script, but what I will do is, um, if you have a specific problem with the script, send me an email and tell me what that specific problem is, and then I'll tell you how ways of which which you can address it and ways of which it's been addressed, kind of uh, traditionally and all that in fiction, as, as I understand it. Like you know, that's all you know. That's all I'll do. I want you know. It's like kind of um, coaching on a specific rather than looking at a whole general thing and trying to kind of um, do that. Yeah. Exactly, because yeah, when it, I. I I just had a friend, she showed me her pilot script, and then um, I was like, do you want me to give you notes on this? And she's like, yeah. And so I just dissected the whole thing and sent her notes, and it was it was just funny. She's like, oh my God, I didn't know you were gonna spend that much time on this. I'm like, uh, it's 
it's I love the character stuff. I want it. I want to punch this up. That's everything. It's the thing is, it's like um, you know, I've been working with the writers' room um, on this show, and uh, there, you know, it's like um, it's you know, it's such a confidence thing for for people as well because uh, they're all really great writers, you know, and I'm learning so much from working with them. But you know, it's like they have that kind of thing. Oh, you're the the big name writer, so we're kind of we, we you know this is they've got that kind of reverential thing, and they shouldn't have, you know, because it's like. Um, it's the stuff that you know, the stuff that they're doing. Um, it's just you know, it's like it's so much more. Okay, it's so much, it's so much better for this project than I'm doing. I mean, I, I, I know about the the processes and structures and all that because I've been doing it for so long. But in terms of content, they're the ones that are really bringing the content. And that's what's great too, is because in the end we want to serve the story. That's what I always say. Let's serve the story. Let's not serve our egos, and that creates better dynamic. Well, that's a, that's a weird thing about being a writer. I mean, it's like kind of um, you've got to have an ego to an extent because you've got to believe that what you say, you've got something to say, you know, because it's like you know, why should anybody be interested, you know? So you've got to believe that they will be and you can make them interested. And then at the same time, you've got to be able to get past yourself and make it not about you and make it about, you know, as you say, serving the story rather than yourself. Um, and uh, it's very, it's, a, it's not a lot of people, I think, are temperamentally cut out for that, you know, to have that kind of confidence, but also to have the confidence to back away and to make it, you know, into, into you know, so you've got to be immersed in it and you've got to be able to pull away and look at it, you know, again, and it's, um, it's such a, it's such a, it's a, it's a, not so much a sleight of hand, but a sleight of mind, basically, you know, it's a, it's a kind of, um, there's, there's, there's people who um, I've met that are brilliant storytellers. They'll sit in a pub and they'll tell a story all night. And uh, but you ask them to put it to paper. You ask them to sit into in a room with themselves, without an audience, and they're completely lost. Like you know, um, and um, you know, there's, there's there's other people who kind of uh, can sit and write, uh, and they can write great things technically, but. There's not the the pulse of humanity, and, and it. there's not people. You know, there's not the sense that they're kind of um, they've been around, they've seen things, they've talked to people. There's a sense that it has been written in the bedroom. It's been written kind of with um, through looking at other things, um, and it's like you know you you kind of um, you have to be both these people. You know, you have to be the kind of the loud-mouthed, attention-seeking, performative asshole at the bar. Uh, but you also have to be the quiet, nerdy, studious kind of um, guy who's sitting down, sort of chiseling uh, all this out, you know. And it's, um, a lot of people have difficulties with being both those people. Yeah? And the other, th this, is, this is what I found, I, I, I found this years ago, and then it kind of upset me, and now I accept it, but when I, when I base in, like, an antagonist on someone I hate, and I'm like, that guy's such a fucking douchebag I'm going to base a character on him and I'm writing it and I'm writing it and then I realize the character's me have you ever <laughs> yeah I mean the more the more objectionable the character gets the closer you to you, you become that's a fucking problem like you think fuck yeah and um, because it's like you know, so much um, so much of it comes from the subconscious and it's like uh, we're, you know what we do we get in touch you know I think when we write we kind of get in touch with the other we get in touch with behaviors and emotions that we underutilize and don't act on and in many cases shouldn't act on because they're you know they're psychotic and antisocial and destructive 
but we all have these impulses. I think when you're a writer, the luxury you have is you can go with those impulses and create a character who is an objectionable kind of bad bastard who comes from you just as much as the, the nice guy or the average guy and all that, but nobody's really going to see that. I mean, it's like we are, again, it's like kind of um, going back to DMT, one of the other lessons that I got from that was that um, we're all everything and nothing, you know, we are the universe and we are just a particle within that universe. It's like kind of, uh, and I think that, um, you know, it's like, but this, this, you know, this every kind of behavior that you that um, people of anybody in the universe has ever exhibited, it, you know, we can imagine it, you know, and if we can imagine it, we can write about it. Yeah, exactly. Like you know, people who write about <laughs> when they say like write what you know, and then you're like, oh, okay, I don't have to become a serial killer to write about a serial killer, though. You, but I think it's the emotion that we're going for, the the darkness that could go there. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it's like um, you know, you you kind of um, you don't have to to. Uh, I mean, if it's like kind of um, probably the you know, if you read some of the the most gruesome crime fiction. Um, and then you meet, you go to a crime writers convention, you meet the crime writers, you know, they're probably the least likely people to murder anybody ever, you know. But, you know, they have imagination, they know, you know, they, they can put themselves in the shoes of the, the killer or the, the murder victim or whatever, or, you know. Um, and it's like, you know, you kind of, um, you don't have, you know, so that, that's the bottom line. You, it's like, um, it's funny that, um, you know, it's like, and that's accepted. It's like, um, you know, it's, uh, a friend of mine, Sarah Pembroke, writer, she said that um, if you write about um, if you write about murdering somebody, uh, nobody's assuming you're going to be a murderer. But if you write about if you write about a sex scene, everybody's assuming that's you in bed and that's how you have sex. So there's certain things that we accept as kind of um, it's a, a territory of fiction. There's certain things we think are, are bound to be experiential, basically. You know, you, well, why would you write about that if you? You didn't know, or you weren't interested. In, you know, we weren't interested in it in some way, or you wanted to do this, or you want, you know, um, you know, because you're right about killing somebody doesn't mean we want to kill somebody. You know, yeah. Sometimes though, I kind of do want, I, I do want to kill someone, and then I'm like, oh, I'll just write about it, and then, <laughs> and then it comes back to me, I'm the asshole. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's like kind of, um, I think it's very, very healthy to want to kill somebody from time to time, um, and I think that. Um, I would, you know, I think that um, a lot of people who are kind of um, self-abusive or depressed, I think they, you know, they, they turn a lot, they, they turn a lot of the anger inside. And sometimes I think that, um, uh, you know, if they, if they, if they could find an outlet to turn the anger out a bit more, you know, it would it would be helpful. Because I think it's you know, it's like, um, I think it's a good thing. You know, I think it's natural to be angry about things, and I think, but it's a, it's a good thing to be able to express it in some way. You know, and I think you know one of the great things about uh, writing is that yeah, you can kind of deal with it in that way. You can you can deal with kind of powerful emotions that are kind of um, that are a bit um, you know that that are kind of um, that are a bit disturbing in a lot of ways. You know, you can and you can imbue it into the character. And. Um I mean, you've written so many books. I have. Uh, I was looking at my shelf. I got the Sex Lives with Siamese Twins, Crime. So many, so many ones outside of the Train Spotting universe. Um, that, that, like, what, what's it like when you're in the Train Spotting universe and when you're out of it? 
um, do, I guess is it? I'm, I think I think what I'm asking, and you could tell me what I'm asking because I might be totally off. But is it um, is it kind of um, how do you say? But where people don't realize that you have a lot more than just the train spotting characters. <laughs> yeah, I mean the train spotting characters are all through the movies, and you know it's just you know it's just gone into the whole cultural kind of thing now, and. Um, so I think you know it's like kind of um, you have to you know you have to look at it this way that um, that there's a lot of people who don't know about the other stuff other than train spotting, but because of train spotting, there's a lot of people who do know more about the other stuff who wouldn't if it if it didn't exist. Like you know, so you have to see it as um, as a calling card in a way rather than an albatross. Um, and um, yeah, so it's like. Um, it does help turn people on your other stuff. There's no doubt about it. And um, some some of other stuff is like, um, in some ways, it's like, um, you know, in the case of something like Filth, it's quite a, you know a difficult uh, book has made it onto the screen, uh, which is good. Um, and I've you know I've, I've done things that have kind of to me they've been at, um, some of them have been very kind of out there and very kind of grotesque. And other ones have been a bit more kind of comedic, and they're kind of uh, about the comedic in their approach. And uh, you know, so it's like I do like to mix. So you know, some have been quite experimental, some have been quite conventional kind of uh, pieces of fiction, really. So I do like to mix it up. Uh, I don't really have any. You know, I, I do work within a kind of territory, as all writers do. But um, I don't within that. I don't really have any kind of um, set notions about how this is going to be. Um, about you know the themes or the stylization of it, you know, just decide that in terms of how I feel at the time. And then, um, so now you're now you're you're are you living Miami full time? Is that the? Kind of yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I'm kind of between Miami and I'm kind of edging my way home a bit. You know, I'm heading back to um, spending more time at Edinburgh, and I'm kind of looking at. Um, Getting a place in Europe. I mean, uh, as, as much as I love Miami, uh, it's probably it's probably time for me to move. And I love America, but it's probably time for me to move back, kind of now. Um, but I will keep my place here in Miami so that I can use it as a launch pad to get back out here to to Hollywood and you know and keep it in to New York and see everybody and get there for the winter and all that. But um, I think now it's um, I've got so much work coming up in Europe now that. To, and in in the UK again, so I want to kind of just uh, get back into that, and it's like um, friends, family, and sort of uh, you know, and relationships over there that uh, are kind of um, I've got to stop kind of uh, neglecting all that and get kind of square involved there again. And then, but at the same time, then you have to say goodbye to the sun. Yeah, I mean, hopefully only for the. I'll, I'll be back over in Miami in the winters and spend as much spend as much of the winter over there here as I can, and then um, I'll be somewhere like Barcelona or Lisbon or something like that in the summer. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, that's cool. So you can you can space it out where the weather when the weather's dreary, you're out. Yeah, basically that's um, you know, that's the thing about being Scottish that you just don't really kind of um, if you get the chance. To get weather, you have to take it because it's like basically from um, from the end of the Edinburgh Festival, basically, you know, in the, the, in the beginning of September, um, 
right through to the first of May is, your, is winter. You know, it's just wet and dark and cold. You know, it's like it's horrible. You know, and so it's like kind of, uh, and in between, and, and the rest of the year from kind of like May to uh, to August, uh, to, to late August isn't particularly brilliant either you know I mean you might you know we're hoping but it's like so far global warming has passed us by you know we, we, we might get the odd crazy hot day you know but uh, we're still struggling with the same shit weather we always have yeah what um speaking of uh let's let's go back to uh to young to, to young urban and doing go- jobs and gigs before writing what were some of the jobs that you uh had before you were able to um go full-time writing a mixture of very good ones and very shit ones um kind of um you know sort of uh, my first job was like kind of uh tv and radio mechanic like kind of like audiovisual kind of repair tech, you know and um uh and uh that was kind of fun i really liked that um and uh and then I was um, I worked as a, a clerk at the Register General's office for Scotland, which uh, I hated, but I met some good people there. And then, um, kind of uh, down south, uh, I worked in um, I worked in a warehouse in Hanwell in Middlesex, uh, kind of just basically kind of piling up boxes and stock, and kind of uh, which I kind of liked very much. Um, and uh, I kind of met good, good partners there as well. Uh, then I worked. Um, I worked for uh, Hackney. Um, I worked in Hackney for the, the Greater London Enterprise Board in kind of economic development and employment initiatives. Um, and I kind of went back to Edinburgh and did similar work there at Edinburgh Council. Um, you know, so I've had quite. You know, and I've had a lot of. Um, Labouring jobs, uh, did slab work, paving, paving slab, paving roads, um, and I've done, um, I've done a lot of kitchen work, kind of kitchen portering. Uh, worked on the cross-channel ferries, worked as a, a kind of a kitchen porter, a cabin steward on the cross-channel ferries. So yeah, so um, been quite a kind of mixture of kind of. Um, Kind of shit, temporary jobs, good jobs, kind of bad jobs, and you know the the, the, the usual kind of mix and match you would get for somebody my age, really. Um, and, uh, and then I retired at thirty and took up writing, basically. Yeah. That's a sweet gig. Yeah, I, re- I remember that when you were talking. I remember loading boxes at UPS from like four in the morning till nine. I love the job, like the physicality of it, but the pay was shit. And then the people that were my superiors were pieces of shit. If they would just let me load and the hustle on the belt, that was rad. Yeah, you tend to find that the the most menial kind of sort of uh, repetitive, dull work, um, they usually have a total fucking arsehole as foreman, supervisor or whatever, because it's like, um, because it's just basically about kind of, you know, keeping people in order and forcing them to do this, so that so you get something who just fucking shouts everybody all the time, like you know, yeah, yeah. I'm like just I, you know, I got my I got my weight belt on and I'm just I got my gloves. Just leave me alone. But no, couldn't do that. Hey, you know, so um, so when I interviewed you for Penthouse, and uh, we we got a two page spread in the glossy, you know, we were so I got a, a centerfold from Penthouse because yeah, yeah. of you, brilliant, yeah. brilliant, yeah. yeah. Two pages. Um, so, <laughs> so when um, so when it came out, I got my parents live up in San Francisco Bay Area. So when I get in a glossy magazine, they have to they have to buy it, right? So I my mom had to go 
buy Penthouse, and what was great is she couldn't find it at the first couple of liquor stores. So she had to go to like three or four liquor stores, ask for Penthouse, and explain, no, no, I really want it for an article, which was just amazing. So I got to thank you for that. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, I'm always happy to um, encourage people's mothers to buy pornographic magazines and, and, and news agents. Like, you know, it's kind of, my work here is done. <laughs> Irvin, thank you so much, man. This has been great. Thanks a lot, Tony. Cheers, buddy. Irvin Welsh on Drinks with Tony. His book, Dead Men's Trousers. Thanks for listening. Coming up on the show, we have uh, upcoming guest, Jack Grisham, the author of the, An American Demon. Uh, he's also the lead singer of THOL. We have Alan McDonnell. He's coming up on the on the show in an upcoming Wednesday. Uh, Michael um, Marcus is also coming up. His book, Number One Son and many others. Stay tuned. Having so much fun doing this podcast. I hope you're enjoying it as much as I enjoy doing it. I'll see you next Wednesday. Have a great week.